So you saw Billy, he was a little out of breath. <laughs> they land at 9,000 feet in Quito. So if some of you are skiers and you've skied out west, uh, you probably were skiing a little bit at that elevation. And some of the team members are actually suffering a little bit from altitude sickness. Maybe not really altitude sickness, they're just, their bodies are trying to acclimate to that altitude. And uh, that can be tough. That can be tough if you're uh, traveling, if you're walking, even up a set of stairs, you get to the top and all of a sudden, wow, <laughs> I can't breathe. But uh, pray for them. I know that God is going to bless them. And uh, I've been to Quito myself three times. And uh, each time I've gone, uh, it's just been an incredible trip. And what is so cool is that this morning, maybe even right now, I think they're in the same time zone that we are here, but they are worshiping with, in a different tongue, in Spanish. Now, we do have some Spanish speakers on the team, but as you're standing there in a worship service like that, and you're seeing the words up on the screen in Spanish, and you're just kind of <laughs> trying to figure it out. But what is so cool about it is to see believers from a different country worship. It reminds you of that passage in Revelation where it says that every tongue and nation rises up and praises God. And that's just, that's just a sampling of it. So be praying for them this week. Uh, out at the uh, Connect desk, there's some uh, prayer cards. If you didn't get one last week, there's several of them out there. Just stick it in your Bible or magnet to your refrigerator, wherever you're going to see it often. And uh, just remember to, to pray for them. Um, you know, it, it, this is an interesting time of year. Uh, we can always tell a little bit about someone by what they follow. For instance, uh, some of you only drive General Motor cars, and maybe because you work there, or Chrysler, Ford, whatever it might be. But you can tell a lot about a person by what they have. So if you walk around some of our offices, you'll notice that in Kip's office, he's got these, a whole wall of the space shuttle taking off. Now, I don't know what that says about Kip, but I think that's pretty cool. It is, I mean, literally, it's the whole wall. If you're ever back there, take a look. Uh, my office, I've got some hunting stuff. I've got some antique decoys, um, just outdoorsy type stuff. A lot of, you know, stuff like this. And this time of year, in fact, yesterday, I think, was the opening of a small game uh, season, as well as the youth hunt for waterfowl. I was up at Bald Mountain yesterday hiking early in the morning, and I'd forgotten about it. But I hear these shotguns going off, and I thought, what in the world? And it just reminded me, that's what it was. If you go to Cabela's, you go to Bass Pro Shop, you're going to see people wearing camo. Maybe they're not there, but it tells something a little bit about who that person is, what they like, their interest. So let me ask you this. If someone looks at you, how do they know that you are a follower of Christ? Is it your WWJD bracelet, a cross around your neck, um, you know, ichthus on the trunk of your, of your car? I remember when I had my business, I was doing a repair for a, uh, on a car, and this guy, he, he was probably Indian, maybe Middle Eastern, and he had that ichthus on the trunk of his car. And I asked him, I said, so are, are you a Christian? He says, oh, no. 
No, I, I saw this on your car and I thought maybe you were. It's a Christian symbol. He says, I think he may have been Muslim. And he says, how do I get rid of that? <laughs> I said, you can't. It's permanent. But there was a great opportunity to share the gospel with him. So what does it look like for us that people would know that we are believers and followers of Christ? So over the next several weeks, uh, we are going to be talking about the followers trail guide uh, to following Christ. And, um, you know, these chapters, 13 through 16, are just beautiful chapters. Uh, last week, Billy talked about the foot washing. Uh, in chapter 14, there's that beautiful passage that I- I've used it in funerals, where in verse 1 it says, you believe in God, believe also in me, and I'm going to prepare a place for you that where I am, there you will be also. And then verse 7, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Chapter 15, uh, chapter 15 talks about abiding in Christ. And the, it's just a beautiful chapter. And then 16 about the Holy Spirit and his ministry in the world and how he indwells believers. So don't miss any of these messages. They're, they're so important. Last week, Billy talked about Jesus humbling himself, washing the feet of his disciples. And Peter, just being outlandish, we're going to talk about him again today, but just said, hey, just wash all of me. And he says, no, once you've been washed, you know, he's done. He just washes his feet. Just a beautiful picture of his humbleness and just how he served his disciples. But this week, I, I want to talk about how does the world know that we follow him? And the big idea, of course, is the world knows who we follow by how we love one another, how we interact with each other. And in chapter 13, if you want to join me in your Bibles, uh, chapter 13, just a few verses, he, talks, he says this, when he, <clears throat> excuse me, um, yeah, starting in verse 33, He says, little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. So what does he mean by a new covenant? Um, I think it probably relates to, think about a communion. When you read the Gospels in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, where Paul says, uh, I, I give to you what the Lord also delivered to me, that on the night that he was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it and he blessed it. And he said, take and eat and do this in remembrance of me. But then he took the cup afterwards and he says, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. So there's that creating of a new covenant, that we are new covenant believers, that we are following following Christ. Now, loving is not anything new to the Jew. Uh, Sometimes we think that, oh, this is where it started. But remember, in Matthew chapter 22, 
Jesus was there with the Pharisees, and one of them was a lawyer. And the lawyer says to him, teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. This is the first and the greatest commandment. And the second is likened to it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love God, love people. You look at the Ten Commandments, and the first five are all vertical. It's our relationship with God. The second five are our relationship with mankind. But it, him saying, he's actually quoting there, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. He's looking back to Leviticus chapter 17, where he says, where God says in that passage, in the giving of the law, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But this is a new covenant. This is a start for us as believers to learn what it means to love one another. Now, when Jesus gave that commandment, the disciples were struggling with this. They're looking at each other. What, wait, wait a minute. What are you talking about? Where are you going? Uh, we're with you. But two in particular really, really had a hard time with this. Judas, obviously, and Peter. Keep in mind, these people, these men, were handpicked by Jesus. He said to Peter, to James and John, come and I will make you fishers of men. He said to Nathaniel, I saw you when you were under the tree. I mean, he knew these guys. And for three years, for three years, Jesus poured into these men what it meant to serve. They saw him heal people of leprosy. He saw so many miracles, saw the feeding of the 5,000. In John chapter 11, just two chapters back, they saw him raise Lazarus from the dead. Can you imagine that? I've never been able to wrap my head around how the Jews, the Pharisees, couldn't see that Jesus was the Son of God after having seen all this. But here's, here's James, or Judas and Peter, they're having the same trouble with them. Look at, look at verse, um, verse 21 here. He says, after saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified, truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. The disciples looked at one, one another, uncertain of whom he spoke. One of his disciples, whom Jesus loved, we assume that was probably John, the writer of this gospel, was reclining at the table at Jesus' side. So Simon Peter motioned to him and said to ask him, which one of us was he speaking to? So that disciple, leaning back against Jesus, said to him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, it is he to whom I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. So when he had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Then after he had taken the morsel, Satan entered into him, and Jesus said to him, what you do, what you are going to do, do quickly. Now, no one at the table knew why he said this to him. Some thought because Judas had the money bag, Jesus was telling him, buy what we need for the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. So after receiving the morsel of bread, he immediately went out 
and it was night. Isn't that a foreboding sentence? Sentence, and it was night. That's a beautiful picture of just really kind of what happened. It was night. Jesus was troubled in spirit. Why? Because he knew he was going to be betrayed. Now, normally, if we're going to be betrayed, it's a surprise to us, right? We don't know about it. Let me give you a, I always give you a little history lesson, so be prepared here. In 51 BC, the Gallic Wars ended. Julius Caesar, not Caesar yet, but Julius Caesar, uh, Pompey, and Crassus had finished the war. Crassus died. There was a brief civil war between uh, Julius and, and, and Pompey. Uh, Julius won, and the war had finished. And the Senate said, okay, Julius, disarm, uh, disband the army, and it's all done. And Julius said to him, said to the Senate, basically, go pound dust. <laughs> he wasn't going to have it. So he took his army, and he crossed the Rubicon River. So hence, you've heard that phrase, crossing the Rubicon. If you have a Jeep Wrangler, uh, some of them are Rubicons, right? That's where that comes from. But when he defeated Pompey, he had, Pompey had a uh, kind of, I don't it's just an under, um, Lurkast general, I suppose. His name was Marcus Junius Brutus. And depicted from William Shakespeare's play, Julius Caesar, if you've ever seen it or read it, there's some really key words in there. One, beware the Ides of March. Okay, maybe you've heard that phrase. But Julius comes back, he becomes Caesar, Julius Caesar. The Senate didn't like it. So they hatched a plot to kill him. And in 44 BC, the senators, they come together and they go to assassinate Julius Caesar. But this comes out of that. Julius Caesar is being killed and one of his friends, Brutus, is part of the plot. And those words from Shakespeare's play, et tu, Brute, you too, Brutus, he was surprised that his friend, his protege, was actually a part of the plot. Not, this is not like Jesus. Jesus knew. Jesus knew what Judas was going to do, that he was going to betray me, betray him. And here Judas is caught red-handed. This is, you're going to do it. I was talking to one of the guys uh, out in the, uh, actually it was in the men's restroom, <laughs> about the candy tour. You heard the announcement. And his family, they were, they were just fantastic last year. That was so much fun, wasn't it? The candy tour. We're doing it again. You saw the announcement. That's going to be a lot of fun. And you have parents, and I've been through this with our kids and grandkids. They're going to have a pile of candy. And they're going to be wanting to eat it. And you're going to kind of ration it out and hide it maybe. Uh, and there's going to be a point where the kids, they find it. And uh, you're going to say, did you get into that candy? Tell me the truth. And they're going to say, no. But their lips are red or purple and their tongue is red or purple. And they're caught red-handed. They did it. 
they're guilty. And we, we smile at that. But you know, folks, it's, it's not so funny. It's not so funny when the sin of adultery is uncovered or when a financial discretion comes to light. And here with Judas, um, he was caught. He was guilty. And, you know, I always wrestle with this. Did he have the chance to really repent? I, I, that's a hard one. That's a theological wrestling match there. But Judas took the morsel of bread. And when he took that morsel of bread, the scriptures tell us that Satan entered him. Now, if you read the Bible, I don't know. I, I can only think of two times in the scriptures where it says that Satan entered a creature. And ironically, it, first one was the serpent in the Garden of Eden, where the certain serpent deceived Adam and Eve. They took, and the fall of man took place. The Bible says that through one man, sin entered into the world and death by sin, so that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That event, that event of the fall. And then here, secondly, Judas takes the morsel and Satan enters him. And it starts the plan, or really the last day of the plan of redemption. So you have the fall and the redemption of man taking place because of what happened right there where Satan entered him and he, and he left. And perhaps he had that opportunity to, to repent, but I don't know. But here's the point. You know, you've heard it said that a secret sin on earth is open scandal in heaven. Folks, there's nothing hid from God. Um, we may think there is, but it's not. Psalm 139 says, where shall I go from your spirit? If I go to the depths, the, as far as east from the west, behold, you are there. If I go to the depths of the sea, behold, you are there. If I hide in the darkness, the darkness is light to you. Before the word is even on my tongue, you, God, know it. In Hebrews chapter 4, 13, um, it says that we, everything that we are, we are open to him to whom we have to give an account. He knows. And so we want to make sure that we keep ourselves, we want to make sure to confess that sin if it's there. We can repent of it. We can turn from it and show our love for God, for Christ, because what he has done. So, Let's keep those short accounts. But then there's another character, and that's, this is Peter, and he too falters. And with Peter, we see that the, the self-confident follow the flesh. Uh, you remember that Jesus said to this, you will seek me, but I'm about to be exalted to heaven. Where I'm going, you cannot come. Uh, then he gives us that command to love one another. Well, Peter just totally blows through the love part. And he says, wait a minute. Where are you going? I want to go with you, and I, 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 will, never de I will never deny you. Um, he's, not answer with the, he's not happy with the answers that, 
that uh, Jesus has given him about where he's going. You know, sometimes people make predictions, right? This is going to happen. And Peter says, this is going to happen. I will follow you no matter what happens. Let me give you a quick illustration. Um, in, in 1948, the presidential election was really very contested. Harry Truman became president after Franklin Delano Roosevelt died in 1945. And then he ran for election in 1948 against Thomas Dewey. Thomas Dewey was born in Owasso, Michigan, and was raised there. Just a little fact. And so the election was taking place. Dewey was, uh, had been the governor of New York, so qualified. And so everyone thought that this is going to be a landslide. Dewey's going to wipe out Truman. In fact, to the point that the, excuse me, the Chicago Daily Tribune printed this newspaper. <laughs> You're talking about Dewey defeats Truman. They printed thousands of copies and it never happened. That's it. You're talking about a bad call. Well, Peter did the same thing here. He made a bad call. He said, I will never forsake you. I will be with you forever. Inaccurate follow, uh, inaccurate um, prophecy, if you will. He says, why can't I follow you? He wanted to. I'll lay down my life for you. But yet, we know from what the scriptures say that he ended up denying Jesus. I, I like what D.A. Carson wrote. He, he talked, speaking of um, Peter's self-confidence, he says this, tragically the boast that he would never deny his Lord even to the point of death displays not only the gross ignorance of human weakness, but a certain haughty independence that is the seed of the denial itself. In Peter's self-confidence, um, he ended up denying Christ. I love this picture. You talk about dramatic points in Scripture. In Luke chapter 22, verse 61, it says this, that after Peter had denied Jesus those three times, okay, he died, and the rooster crowed, that verse says, Jesus, he was in Pilate's presence at that point. And Jesus turned and he looked at Peter. Can you imagine? And Peter, their eyes connected. And it says that Peter went out and he wept bitterly. I mean, can you imagine? That came true. He realized that his self-confidence, his prophecy about himself, if you will, was not going to happen. It wasn't true. And, you know, folks, sometimes in our conservative culture, uh, depending on where you live, I guess, conservative culture, um, you, you know, we have that self-confidence. It's pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. It's I can do it, you know, this kind of, and, and, and that's not bad, okay? Don't misunderstand me. In fact, let, my mom uh, my dear mom, she started selling real estate in the mid-1960s. Some of you are realtors here, probably. But in the mid-1960s, there weren't many women selling real estate. It was a man's world. Now I would 
uh, maybe a majority of women that sell residential real estate. But she began selling real estate in the mid-60s. She, she came, became very successful, did really well. And um, she had a phrase, she says, you know, the harder I work, the luckier I get. <laughs> Can you believe that? So I came home one night, and I had way past my curfew, okay? This is high school days. And I would, had, when I came in the front door, I had to walk by her bedroom. It's an old house in Aurora, Colorado. And um, my mom read her Bible every night. I mean, every single night. I knew she was reading it. But I walked in and she confronted me about being late. And <laughs> I, tried to, I tried to switch the topic to something spiritual. I said, oh, mom, I just feel like we're just not trusting God, you know, and this and that. And, you know, you ever, kids ever do that, trying to shift the topic? She looked at me, and I'll never forget this, guys. She said, you don't believe that when I go out every day, I'm not trusting God to get a listing? I'm not trusting God to be able to make a sale? She had a deep trust in the Lord for that. And even though visually I thought, okay, again, my motive was totally wrong. But, um, you know, she trusted God. And it's not bad to be driven. It's not bad to strive for success and excellence. But we got to remember from where our strength comes from. Our strength comes from the Lord, the God who made heaven and earth. You know, in Proverbs 16, 18, it says that um, it, it says that pride comes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. We have to remind ourselves, look, uh, this is not about me. This pride can be so destructive. And so here's Peter trying to, trying to show who he was, but yet we know that he failed. Um, there's a third way for us to respond, and that is the point here, that the, the God-centered follow Jesus. Look at, uh, let's go back here. We're going to go back a little bit, back to verse 31. It says, when he had gone out, Jesus said, now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I say to you, where I'm going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one, of one another." Jesus describes himself as that son of man. 75 times through the Gospels, he describes himself that way. Where, where did he get that? I mean, I mean, twice as many times as he describes himself as the son of God. It goes all the way back to Daniel chapter 7. And in Jam Daniel 7, it talks about the son of man being glorified, of being anointed, of being exalted. And Jesus is saying, that's who I am. But the path to glorification 
came through the cross. The disciples said, no, we don't, wait a minute. No, that's not how we pictured it. We pictured it as Christ being glorified, Christ being installed as the king and the restoration of the kingdom. But Jesus says, no, that glorification comes because of the cross. I would be crucified. I would lose my life, but of course he would rise again. Folks, God is calling us to a God-centered life, that he is the one. How do we know that we are believers? By our love for each other. But how do we love each other? It starts with loving God. It's just like I said about the Ten Commandments. The first ten are all vertical. The second are horizontal. But for the horizontal to be right, the vertical has to be right. Uh, Let me kind of give you an illustration. How do we keep focused on that? Um, Several years ago, we were on a lake up in northern Ontario. And uh, my son and I, we were out fishing uh, in a canoe similar to like this. And I was in the back, he was in the front, so I'm steering. And um, it got dark on us. And this lake, it was about, it was bigger than Stony Creek or Lakeville, maybe twice the size. Some islands pocked in it, and we, we just got late. And it, I, when it gets dark up there, some of you who've been there, you know, when it gets dark, I mean, you've got a little ambient light from the sky, but we are way away from any city lights. There's just the stars, and I don't know if the moon was out or not, but the whole shoreline everywhere was just totally, totally black. I kind of had an idea where we were going, but I'm not positive. But until this happened, let me show you. If we could uh, have the lights, please. Someone on shore lit a lantern. And that lantern was the focus of the direction that we needed to take. We knew exactly where we had to go at that point. Now imagine, this was probably a half a mile away from us, but we were able to follow that in all the way, all the way to shore. You can bring the lights back up. The point is, guys, I love what Hebrews chapter 12 says. Therefore, being encompassed by such a great cloud of witnesses, What does it say? Let us lay aside every weight that besets us. And he goes on to say, let us run with endurance. Doing what? Looking to Jesus, the perfecter, the completer, the founder of our faith. Folks, we need to stay focused upon him. And as we do that, we're going to be able to love each other better. That's where we need to be. Let me challenge you to that today. Find ways in which you can love your neighbor. Maybe the neighbor sitting next to you. If you're a married couple, maybe there's some tension in the relationship. You can prove that you're a believer, that you're following Christ by how you love. If you can't love your neighbor, Uh, she's your wife, she's your husband, 
You need to love them. Let me pray with you as we come to a close. You know, we always say, if you, if you need prayer, if you want someone to pray for you, we always have people up here at the front that are more than happy to come and pray for you. Let me get that out of your way. <laughs> Let me pray with you as we come to a close today. Father, we thank you for the great love that you have for us. We thank you that Jesus is the author, the perfecter of our faith. And because of him, we can look to him and we can love you and we can love each other. Fathers, we look at what it means to follow Christ on that trail that he has set before us. Lord, help us to complete our faith. Let us run with patience the race that is set before us. We love you, God. Thank you for your provision for your son. And we pray in his name. Amen. Let's stand. Let's worship together.